an off-the-wall text that I wanted to get your take on before we dive into these cuts from Coach's Corner. And thanks to Drake for chopping them up for us. Thanks, Drake. Thanks, Drake. This was – who was this from? Was this from Jeff and OKC? Yeah, this is from Jeff and OKC. By the way, Jeff from OKC, I want you to know, your name is in our system. I'm grateful for every single text that you sent. You don't have to put your name on every text. We got you, buddy. I'm supposed to tell you as well, speaking of Jeff, that uh, Jeff Salmon said hello. Where'd you see Jeff Salmon? Uh, I saw him last night at the uh, Norman North Palm show. He, he came up and uh, said, Plank's my man. Tell him I said hello. My guy. So, I, so, full disclosure, I have a very soft spot in my heart for the field management guys, turf management guys, because – Honestly, they're probably the people you end up getting to talk to the most <laughs> because they – during, a, like, a practice or during – if it's softball, during infield or something, you, you, they're not really just doing much. They're waiting for them to get done so they can work again. So you develop relationships with these things. And, by the way, the one thing I have noticed, too, is they'll listen to us while they're mowing. So it's kind of like we, uh, we, we talk about it a lot. Scott Black. Scott Black's retiring, for goodness sakes. My man looks like he's just young enough to get started, and he is retiring. But, yeah, I love uh, Jason Ferris. He's done a great job. Uh, his predecessor was Jeff. Scotty's been around, and he's retired now. Yeah, they'll listen to us while they're mowing. Well, you uh, you guys are awesome. You guys he's, are rock stars. We appreciate it. Now, can you help me with my backyard? Because we're having some major problems with the dogs pounding down the dirt. It's just, uh, it's not working out. Hey, how did you get into uh, owning pigs? It's a good-looking question, Josh. Number one, my daughter's in FFA. So one day I came home and my kid looked at me and said, we have a pig. So that was number one. Uh, And then number two, apparently, apparently pigs need companions. They don't work together as so because I'm not going to lie to you. My experience with pigs was like porky pig and just seeing dirty pigs and eating bacon. That's all I knew about pigs. Right. Uh, but apparently they need friends. So we bought like two little mini pigs. So they are social animals. I guess so. Now, they're not anywhere near me. Uh, they're staying in a barn across the street. You've actually created some problems for me. Why is that? Because now, well, my girlfriend has this vision of eventually down the road, married, we'll have chickens and this yeah, yeah, and that. No, and and, no, and, run. <laughs> and and she has now <laughs> come up with this idea. Oh, wait, Plank has pigs? Would you ask him this and that about these pigs? Yeah, You know what? Tell her I'll give her Emma's number. And, she, and Emma would love to talk to her about pigs. Did I tell you that Emma cut her hair to give herself bangs? Did I say that yesterday? You did, yeah. Okay. She'd like to know about the chicken coop and just how things are. Oh, I'll give her the wife's well. number. Oh my gosh! Did, can I? Did I tell you the latest too? Did I tell you the latest? Apparently, we're getting a cow. Apparently, we're gonna have a dairy cow too. Oh no, that's also on Amanda's list of wants. Yeah. What is going on with everybody trying to get these animals? Trying to get off the grid, man. I don't want to count on the government for my food. That's, that's exactly right. I, I I got eggs. I got a pig. I can have my milk. 
We grow things, I think. <laughs> There's no way you could sustain off of that. I know. I, you're 100%. You have to have a farm. When my wife will say that, I'm like, we have five acres. You're acting like we have 500 right now. You calm down. <laughs> oh, Jeff anyway. and OKC. Yeah, Jeff and OKC. Do you all see Jimbo winding up somewhere else or maybe as a TV personality? I mean, with $78 million, you can get all that land and have all the ranches that you want. But I don't know about you, Josh. I think Jimbo Fisher's personality is kind of tailor-made for TV. Um, I don't I don't know if he still wants to coach. I have no idea. Now, for his, let me give you an example. Let me give you a comparison here, Jeff. I've been hearing Dan Mullen's name brought up a lot for Mississippi State. But it's funny because I only hear one person bringing it up. And that's my guy, Eddie Staples. I, I haven't really seen him on a ton of lists that are out there right now. But yesterday, uh, Andy had a Mississippi State guy on his show. And the Mississippi State guy sounded about as Mississippi State as you could sound. And he said that it was his understanding that Dan Mullins, or Dan Mullen, excuse me, didn't really want to coach again. That in his mind, he wanted to, he liked the TV thing. He doesn't have to travel too much. Uh, it's not a 24-7, 365 all-encompassing. He gets to spend more time with his kids. Still gets paid well. Right. So I don't I don't know from that comparison if Jimbo Fisher is on the Dan Mullen plan or or if Jimbo Fisher will be a guy that kind of maybe goes a little Bobby Petrino and says, no, I still want to coach. I still want to run offenses. I don't know. I do think Jimbo Fisher's relationship with the media would be very interesting. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be entertaining, but I don't. I don't. I just don't know. It's a great question. It, it's so tough to tell that too. I mean, some guys you think would be amazing, and they're not as good maybe as you thought. And other guys you think would be the the dullest media personality of all time, Ooh. and they wind up being great. Five eight zero Nate, who have we mentioned has been on fire this week? Yes, he, he has been uh, bringing the heat, no doubt. He said, my buddy from West Virginia says a large group of the Mountaineer fan base wants to, quote, unquote, bring Jimbo home. I also don't know. Hey, Jimbo Fisher is a West Virginia guy. I also don't know what the terms of his buyout look like. In other words, would there be a certain portion of that reported $78 million that if he got another coaching job, oh, he'd have yeah. to get back, you, right? You know it. You know that that's in the contract, too, for sure. <laughs> Uh, which, by the way, 5808 did have an idea for a segment. He said, why don't you get Cavens to sponsor a segment, Cavens Crime Scene Cleanup, the biggest murders that went down in athletics over the weekend. I, I think we – I don't know if I would want to use the term murders, Josh, but it seems like it would lose some of its uh, oomph if we did. Yeah, we, we could clean that we could up work a little with bit. That. He, yeah, we uh, could. He did have this as well on that subject. Did you all give UCF Gary's number to clean up that crime scene? <laughs> From FBC Mortgage Stadium, which was pretty good. Can I tell you something? Have you? Uh, we're getting to the assistant coaches, I promise. Did you? Did you hear what Mike Gundy said when they asked him about the rain gear thing? Huh. I've got to find it because it's fantastic. So Chris Budden reported that that Oklahoma State didn't bring its rain gear. And... They, they had they had their rain gear there. It was just, I guess it was on the truck, and they had to go get, like, extra towels and stuff. 
And when they asked Mike Gundy in the post-game presser, hey, it was reported that you guys didn't have any rain gear. Mike Gundy goes, I don't know what you mean by rain gear. What do you mean? <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about, rain gear. <laughs> That's great. That would have been my response to you. What are you talking about? Rain gear? What do you mean, like a jacket? <laughs> what, were, what were they talking about? I like, I guess t- extra towels and stuff. Like and, umbrellas? And I, or I don't know. I don't know. It. But it, because the sense, the feeling is that there are extra things that you bring when it rains, right? There's extra drying bags. There's extra towels and things of that nature, extra jackets. But, like, they don't refer to it, I think, as rain gear. <laughs> right. Right? Rain gear is something we refer to it as. Coaches like, what, you mean like an extra jacket? But it's, it's hilarious because they're like, did you bring any rain gear? And he's like, I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I've never heard of rain gear in my life. In what sense? In what sense? Um, well, here you go. Do you think Josh McDaniels is splashy enough for A and M? Yes, yes. Go fi- go hire Josh McDaniels at Texas A and M. Please do. He would fit right in line with the arrogant, uh, out of their mind, nonsensical people that run that program. Who's it would gonna, be a perfect fit. Who's going to get the job? Who do you think? I think there's a home run hire in Mike Elko. I just don't think that they. That's not I, good enough for him. That's not good enough for you. I know. It's Mike Elko. Elk. And here's – I said this yesterday, and I apologize if it was at the same time. I know people listen at different times. But I feel like every single program, when you think about your future coach, you would love a guy that had been a successful assistant or coordinator for you, then had success as a head coach somewhere, uh, preferably Power 5, but maybe a school like Tulsa, Houston, or somewhere like that. And then you're able to bring him home, right? Mike Elko's that guy for A&M. He's, he's, he's coaching Notre Dame. He's had a great run at Texas A&M. They haven't been the same since he left. And what did he do? He went to Duke, and he won a Duke. He did more with less. And I think he's, one of, I think he's a guy that can do more with more. So I think they got a home run. Why? Which way are you leaning right now? Kirk Ferentz? <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be great. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, Trailer or Elko, you know, w- w- one of those names. I, I think, I do think they're going to go that route. I think they're going to go with the the good the good head coach, right? Yeah, it's A and M. So I I don't know. It take me back to Jimbo Fisher gets the job. H- how do you think Fisher was perceived in that moment? revisionist history aside right i mean everybody now is like what what a terrible <laughs> hire and in this and that but in the moment was it a was it a good hire for a and was it a home run hire do you know what's kind of funny about it more than anything else josh lsu wanted to hire him lsu wanted to hire him and that's when they gave him the ridiculous contract the a&m athletic director went to lsu and they wanted to hire him and when Jimbo, it's kind of wild because look how long it's taken Mike Norvell to clean up that mess at Florida State. And I wonder how long it's going to take A&M when someone comes in to get things turned around. I remember it being a pretty good hire at the time. I remember it being publicly lauded. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a national championship winning coach. and Right, but he had come off a rough year at Florida sure. State too. It, it, was, it was downturning, so that part wasn't great. All of which is to say, I mean, in that moment, it was a pretty big time hire for A and M. So they've they've got that up their sleeve, and yet 
you know, to me, I, I told you the other day, too. I mean, I'm looking at Kleiman or Leipold if yes. I hate him. Get a great proven head coach. But I, I doubt they do that. Yeah, and, and Sean brings up a great point, too. Bama Bama wanted Rich Rod instead of Nick Saban. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you're talking about something from another universe that just sounds terrible. Do, do you know what I would like to do on this show? Of all the June topics that we have, um, I want a list of head coaches who we thought were the next big thing and they fizzled out immediately when they got their opportunity. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm just kidding. I wanted to go with UCLA as my upset pick, but now that Chip Kelly's uh, reportedly being fired, I can't do it. Because Rich Rodriguez comes to mind. And, and I'm sure a lot of these guys then turned around and had good runs as um, assistants and maybe as coordinators. Would, with the success that he has had as a South Carolina defensive coordinator, would Will Muschamp be on that list? Man, everyone thought Will Muschamp was going to be a great head coach. He won. He won at Florida. And then all of a sudden, boom, he was out. That, to me, would be the antithesis of Josh McDaniels. You're just asking for failure again. It's uh, yeah. There's been yeah. a resurrection somewhere else, but he's he's a proven not good head coach. Manny Diaz, though it is a little bit unfair because Manny Diaz did go seven and five and was eight and three the year before and got fired by Miami because they brought in Mario Cristobal, and then the athletic director had the nerve to say, you know, if we didn't get Cristobal, we're going to keep Manny Diaz. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sure Bobby Petrino might be on that list. Guys, you thought, just wait till they get that job, and then poof, it implodes. Wow. All right, this week on Coach's Corner, we had a chance to talk to Miguel Chavis and Bill Biedenboe. Let me give you one thing from each, then we'll break, and then we'll go all in. Starting five, consistency slash inconsistency. I brought up to Coach, you know, it had to be pretty nice to have at least, what, a, a game and a half stretch where you had five guys but I mean, we've had three starters miss games for injuries, yeah. you know, and, you know, Caleb Schaefer started a game, you know, Caden, obviously now he's settled in. Savion has started, you know, you know, so it's been, I don't know the exact amount, but it's been probably, you know, in 10 games, six, seven different starting lineups, wow. you know, and then we played some guys to, you know, get them experience and, you know, all those things, but yeah, I think continuity and consistency is extremely important. There's verbal and nonverbal communication. You understand how the guy's going to set, you know, based on the protection and where the help is and all those things. So, yeah, it's, it's huge, you know. As much as I'd like to say, okay, let's just throw this next guy in there and he's going to be the same, it just doesn't work that way. You know, you got to work together. And, and most people don't understand that. You know, if you've ever played or coached the line, you do. Hmm. Then on uh, the Miguel Chavis side of things, I asked him about the defensive end rotation and what it looks like for him, how he feels about where the numbers are. Guys are doing great, man. You know, we were fortunate. I think, you know, there's five guys that played, six guys played. Six mm -hmm. guys played uh, Saturday, and all six of them got about 20 reps, close to 20 reps or more. And so you talk about um, – you know, Ethan Downs and Rondell Bolthroyd only having to play 35 snaps. 
and being able to win by 40 points and and to get guys opportunities like our Mason who's getting healthier and healthier every week or get young guys who you know you're going to be leaning on and will be the face of the program here soon like PJ out of Bull Array. Mm-hmm. Those guys, the, the, you can get them all the practice reps you want, all the indie reps you want. If they don't play, they don't get better. You know, and you got a guy like Trace Ford that's playing co-starter like reps. And a guy like fifth-year senior like Marcus Stripling able to get 18 to 20. You know, it's just, it's good, man. So guys play, they're happy. Happy guys usually make motivated guys. So We'll have more. That's a good way to look at it. More from Chavis and Bill Beanbow in advance with tonight's Coach's Corner as we roll on on a Thursday from Caven's Group. Caven's Emergency Response right here on The Ref. All right, welcome back into The Ref. We are on the the road for a Thursday. It's the Thursdays with Gary Caven's and Caven's Emergency Response Group. Disaster Response, 405-573-3048. Um, it's funny, we had brought up the, the June topic, coaches that you thought were going to be a big deal, and then the next thing you know, it kind of fizzled. My man Chris Rainey on the Super Secret Textoso line gave us two. Every coach at Texas after Mac Brown and Scott Frost at Nebraska. I mean, and by the way, to Nebraska fans' credit, they went down with that ship, did they not? With Scott Frost, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they... It would be, and, you know, I hate to say it, but it doesn't look like we have this to worry about anymore, but it would have been like Brent Venables here. You know, the chosen son comes home, and you keep expecting, waiting, hoping that it's going to work, and it just never did. But uh, obviously, Brent Venables' track record of success was, you know, more esteemed and longer than Scott Frost when he took the Nebraska gig. But guess what? He did a lot of good things, man, at UCF. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was a hot, hot name coming in. Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong was a good one. When when Louisville, when he had his run at Louisville and then he immediately got hired, you got to remember, too, that was a, a, a bleep show of a, of a coaching search for Texas, too. And it was one of those to where, in my mind, I was a big Charlie Strong believer. I thought, oh, no, they backed into the right guy. Can we say this isn't good? Can we say Lane Kiffin part one? Lane Kiffin part one, yeah. Lane Kiffin part one. He's had several different parts, has he not? He has, yeah. He's he's uh, there's a career in acts, multiple. <laughs> yeah, acts. I know, right? There was the hold on. I I I want to make sure I even get the the order right in it because there was the there was the Raiders wanting to hire Steve Sarkeesian, and then Sark realizing that. Well, he didn't want to work for Al Davis again. So he became the head coach of the Raiders in 07, and that was at the age of 32. And then after the Raiders fired him. That's crazy. I mean, who hires a head coach at 32 years of age? That never had called plays. And an NFL team, he had never called plays. He was he was the OC at USC and he didn't call plays. That's just, I don't know, man. That's there's the dumbest thing. That's ever. that's tough leading a group of men when right. someone might be older than you. There was the one-year resurgence in Tennessee where he got everyone excited. Then he left and took the USC job and failed. Went to coaching rehab at Alabama, won a national championship. 
Oh, oh I'm sorry. He was he was he didn't coach the national championship game, right? Because he was rumored to be a, a head coach at Florida Atlantic and took that job, and now he's I think doing a pretty good job at Ole Miss. What is uh? Yeah, like, part one, Lane Kiffin, Josh, definitely in that group. What is the youngest a head coach can can be and be pretty successful? I mean, do you have to? Is it like presidential? You got to be thirty five and up. I, I think in the NFL, I'm sure that someone's going to throw me uh, John Madden's age or Sean McVay's age. Right. But yeah, I, I would say I Coll- would say that in, in the NFL. And college is probably different. A little different, yeah. A little different as far as that's concerned. Look at Ohio, Todd Graham. Dennis Franchoni from True Sooner. Yeah, those are good ones. Those are good ones. Todd Graham. I I really liked Todd. <laughs> Todd was awesome. But then ev- everyone that worked around him and everyone that worked with him were like, bro, he's a lot. He's he's a lot. But I liked him. I liked him a lot. He would uh, – and part of it too, Josh, was out of nowhere. He's like, I'm come on your show? I'm like, heck yeah, man. And he was an innings eater. When you do a four-hour show, Josh, you need an innings eater. And Todd Graham was my innings eater. Sure you do. That's why you pick on Baba Booey, man. you got to fill some of that airtime. <laughs> All right, a little bit more from the assistant coaches from uh, uh, for tonight. For tonight. Jacob Sexton's move to tackle. Well, I let me rephrase that. Jacob Sexton's move to right tackle. I spent – there's a very meandering question that leads into it. Uh Along the lines of your, my experience with Bill Beatonbow is that everyone in that room is going to know everyone's responsibility. There's not going to be a, well, I'm a sinner, so I don't need to know that. You're going to know everything. So uh, Bill talked about the process of moving Sexton to the right side of the line. Well, just this week. Wow. You know, obviously, you know, we, we actually – which is probably even more impressive than Gabe and I was just talking about. you got to understand, it's a guy that – didn't do anything really for eight months. Now he rehabbed and right. you know all that with the ACL, but um, and then obviously we had to play him at both positions. I didn't know who was going to truly start, um, you know, and obviously giving some guys an opportunity to do it. And you know he had the best week of practice, and you know felt best about him starting in the game, and you know obviously proved me right. You know did a really really good job, and I'm really proud of him. What'd you make of that last week? He gave up the early pressure. Maybe it was the early sack. Uh, mind escapes me. But you and I talked about it on Monday to hear Bill Beanbow talk about it. Pretty exciting to see what they were able to get out of Jacob Sexton. Oh, it bodes well, yeah, for, for the remainder here and obviously going forward uh, into the SEC. So we, we knew that they were excited about him. The, uh, the injury, of course, you know, I added uh, – a little challenge there, but uh, it sounded like the rehab was, you know, expedited as compared to many others. And that's not to say that, oh, you rushed it. It's just he healed quickly, right? right. It was, was kind of unique in that way. And so, no, that's uh, that's great and exciting for, for the future for Oklahoma. A good sign, a really good sign. All right, what about one other one other cut here from Bill Biedenbow? How good has Caden Green been at left guard? I mean, a, a position to where we thought, heading into this season, the Royal We, we thought Savion Bird was going to lock that down, that he was going to be nasty, he was going to be dominating, and he was going to be that left guard for the future. Hasn't really materialized. He struggled. 
uh, hasn't been able to stay on the field with injuries. And lo and behold, this freshman comes in. He's a captain this weekend, and has been dominant. But what what's his positional future? Because he looks really good at left guard, but I think many of us see him as the left tackle for the future. Coach Fiedenbo talked about it. We're in a different day and age, you know, with the transfer portal and guys can leave whenever they want and all those things. So you never totally know, but I do think I thought coming in it would be his best position. He did a really good job at tackle in the spring of just getting better and better. Um, you know, and tackles are hard to find. You know, no matter where you are, NFL, high school, or here, you know. and um, But I just think the big body, um, you know, being able to move people, obviously going to the conference that we're going to, it's going to, you know, change the bodies that we're blocking. So I would say today he's going to stay at guard with the ability to play tackle. But like you said, you got to evaluate everything every year, every spring, every fall to see where you are and who your best five are. And if there's one thing we do know, Josh, is he likes to he likes to tinker, right? He likes to move guys around. And I I loved the acknowledgement of the of one of the you know key cogs in his coaching staff to say, you know, we got to take into consideration what the kid wants. I always thought he was going to be a, a left guard. I thought it was going to be his best position. But left tackles are hard to find. Tackles are hard to find. And if he wants to play tackle, I'm going to give him an opportunity to play tackle. And I, I, from what I've experienced with Kane Green, which is not very much, just the, the, the few times, Josh, that we've had him in media avails, right, he seems like he's a kid that would immediately realize if, okay, this is going to work, we got this, or it might be better for me to be back where I was. Well, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Left tackle's the the money position. Up front, that's that's where you're going to get uh, a big bag of cash down the road. So, sure, he, he's probably earned the right to at least get a, a crack at it at some point, uh, you know, moving forward for Oklahoma. Oops, and then, sorry. hey, if uh, if that doesn't totally work out, guess what? You're going to make a lot of money at, uh, at guard in the future, too. I cannot – you know, the, the final regular season game is next Friday. So uh, – and I'm assuming we have Thursday off, I'm assuming – so we only get three shows next week, and uh, and I and I I don't know if they're changing the schedule up next week and or not because I know we are we're going to be here at Cavens back on Monday. Uh, Josh is going to be out here. I don't think we're changing like our coaches' corner tapings or the Brent Venables press conference with game days always being on Saturday. But man, we're going to have some fascinating conversations after that. Friday game against TCU and you and I come back in and hopefully we're getting ready for a week in the Big 12 championship but just okay roster construction who's out there what what should it look like where should you attack do you need to get interior guys on the offensive line or you know I see a boatload of uh, when I say this I understand it's an out of context but I see a boatload of good looking dudes over there in their uniform in that offensive line huddle that are engaged. I see dudes where I'm like, give Schmitty another year, that dude's going to be something. Give Schmitty some more time with that dude, he's going he's gonna to be something. But I don't know if they're any good. <laughs> I don't know what practice looks like, right? Aesthetically, it looks good. So are you attacking the portal? Are we going in the foundation in, in, in SEC play going to be these young guys? Are we attacking the portal at corner, right? 
are we at that point yet to where the portal is what Brent Venables eventually wants it to be, to where you're not bringing in 10 or 11 guys? I don't know. I don't know. Who's? It, it, are we worrying about guys that could be on their way out? Has it reached that point now to where – you know, you are a ballyhooed recruit. You were someone that was highly thought of, but you're not able to crack the rotation, so you're going to go somewhere else. I don't know. But just talking offensive line and talking, not about Caden Greed leaving, but just what he wants to do, Josh, it really it, it kind of magnifies how we're having these conversations as fans, and it's fun and it's our show. I can't even imagine what those conversations are like right now uh, inside the Switzer Center. Sure, yeah. Uh, it's, it's wild. A, it's a lot to uh, sort through, and it's, of course, great to have options. It'll be curious, yes, to see what uh, this particular offseason holds in the way of guys shuffling around, shuffling around and moving on, and what does it mean for the transfer portal and all that. I, I expect it to start heading the opposite direction for Oklahoma, but you know that sweet spot might be 8 to 12 every year out of the portal, which would be less. Than, uh, than what it was this time a year ago, Plank. But uh, just kind of the natural the natural movement anymore in college football. Some guys are going to say, hey, I got a better opportunity elsewhere, and on and on and on. And yet Oklahoma's got a monster recruiting class right now that's going to you know balloon over 30. And, oh, by the way, I don't know if you've peaked at 2025, but there's a number of in-state guys already, and that looks like it has its uh, way forward to maybe another – 30-person, 28-person class. So the lifeblood will be in the high school uh, classes for Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. yet, you know, the, the transfer portal, if guys leave, you're, you're going to supplement there. But I do, sure. think, I do think probably OU is going to be a little bit more selective yeah. out of the transfer portal this offseason. But, hey, we'll get there right after a trip to Provo and uh, after a Black Friday game and hopefully a Big 12 championship. I, I will say for as mixed – as the results were in the portal last year with the guys that came in and it didn't really necessarily click for a lot of them, I feel like that this this has been one heck of a, of a portal class. I mean, Walter Rouse is starting to left tackle. Um, and, and by the way, when I say makes it's a little bit unfair because you did get Dylan Gabriel and he's ended up being pretty, pretty good. Uh, Andrew Anthony, before he got hurt, was – you know, arguably the best receiver on the team. McCullough's been really good for you. Desan McCullough, when he's healthy, he's been great. I think Reggie Pearson has been pretty, pretty good. He's been a solid addition, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Connor Neer's been really good on special teams. Bothroyd's now, been really good for you. Rondell Bothroyd has been great. Trace Ford has been good. So, uh, it's, if you're getting portal classes like, oh, you got this year, well, go add 10 to 12 every single season if you can. And – and though it's not been Caleb Schaefer, you know, playing, you know, 60 snaps every week, I think Coach Biedenboe would tell you that's been an important piece week to week. I think so, too. Okay, I'm sorry. We got the Jacob Sexton and Caden Green conversations got us excited about the future. We got carried away. Let's get a break. We'll hear from Miguel Chavis on BYU and on his defensive line's performance against West Virginia next right here on The Wrap. All right, a couple quick ones here from Miguel Chavis. As we roll on the Plank Show, you heard him talk about the defensive end rotation. How about how he felt about the way this team played and his defense played against West Virginia? Yeah, man, great. You know, great win. And uh, I thought the guys played really well, the edgemen. And um, and the whole D-line, the whole defense, and the whole team. You know, it's a, 
I told to my wife after the game that was the most stressful 40 point win I've ever been a part of. <laughs> um, because you know you we, you really try to prepare well. You have we had, because of so much respect that we had for West Virginia and for Coach Neal. And I mean, that was a that was a team that's been playing really really good football and one if not the best collective offensive line that we played in a quarterback uh, that was very very elusive um, and was very hard you just watch the tape and like this guy is, is special with his feet he created a lot of plays whether it's in the cube ball game whether it's in the quarterback run game or um, you know making something happen and getting outside the pocket but uh, you know defensively 4.6 yards per play um, eight tackles for loss, six PBUs, uh, two fourth down stops, 11 pressures, four quarterback hits. Um, pretty big game. So, you know, with, you know, Coach Roof and I were talking after the game, and it's just crazy because, you know, it was a good game. I was happy for the, for the guys, first of all. Most importantly, happy for our staff, happy for Sooner Nation. And, um, you know, after, after a couple of weeks, uh, on the road, two hard-fought, tough games that don't go your way for whatever reason. Um, to, to be back in the palace, under the lights, the light show was freaking amazing. And uh, to have the support of 90,000 uh, Oklahoma faithful cheering you on. And to do that on both sides of the ball was, was, was huge. The most stressful 40-point win that he's had. So when we went to break, just kind of give you guys a little peek behind the curtain. I asked him, I'm like, hey, why? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you gave an answer, but is that – are you giving me coach speak here? Miguel's awesome, by the way. And he's like, no, dude, they they were legit. Everything about their offensive line, everything about the experience of their – heck, this actually this might have been on air. You might get to see it tonight. Felt like it was in break. But he goes, they were, they were damn good. That's a really good football team. And – that's the second time we've taken a team that we thought was a really good football team and just housed them in our place. And I thought that was awesome. Now, I understand, Josh, there's also the, what happened last week? What happened the week before that every fan feels? And there's going to be a fan base whenever we, t- we take this show full circle and we go back to what we talked about in the open, right? There's going to be a team that's been smoked the last couple of weeks or just hasn't played well that's going to win a game that they're not supposed to this weekend. And that fan base is going to sit there and think, wow, where did this come from? I kind of feel like a lot of Sooner fans felt that last week. Where was this the last two weeks? Sure they did. Sure they did. <laughs> but you know what? You, you can't uh, can't be living in the rear view. You got to move that's forward. Right. And, uh, Preach. Obviously, that's going to – BYU is going to attempt – to make that its uh, approach, Oklahoma, they need to force them to, yeah, stay a little bit. Stay. Uh, stay a little bit in the rear view. Here's here's two other quick ones. Rondell Bothroyd, we were talking about the success in the portal that the Sooners have had this year uh, and the difference in the leadership, the difference-making ability that Bothroyd has brought in the leadership as well. Wait for it. Maybe. The leadership that Rondell Bothroyd has brought – and his ability. Once again, he's what's been fun about him, Unc. We call him Unc. You know, he's. I think he's. He might. He and I might be the same age. <laughs> um, oh but uh, you know, what's funny about Rondell is that we coached against him for four years, and 
but he's he's just awesome, man. The, the kid is, is special. He's not re even a kid. Um, he, you know, just the leadership that he brings, the the pursuit that he has. He's played a lot of football, and and what I love about him, man, he lets me coach him really hard. And he's an old dog that's learned some new tricks. That's still getting better. You know, I wish I, um, I wish I had him for for more than one calendar year. And uh, but excited about him and. And he, he just gives a – he never lets the guys, defense, or off – they get too high or low. You know, so we come off the field after a big stop. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> you know, something something doesn't go our way. Come on. It's just it's, he's, he's just here. You know, so really proud of him. Very even kill. Very chill, Rondell Bothroyd. Meanwhile, um, what did it, I had one more. Oh, Danny Stutzman. The difference that Danny Stutzman's makes in this defense. Uh, it was it's real. You know, it's real. He's, you know, I don't. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what you talk to him or how he feels. But man, he's he's there's a larger than life confidence that he exudes. Um, and you know, he's just a throwback man. He's a amazing person, an amazing teammate. He's. He's one of my favorite guys in our whole team. And, you know, just his presence, whether he's on the field or on the sideline, I think there's a certain level of comfort, regardless of how great our young guys did last week or this week. You know, guys like Kip Lewis and Cody McKenzie, man, those are some dudes. <laughs> like, straight up. You know, Sammy's going to be really good. Uh, obviously, Jaron's played a lot to start, so you guys know about him. Um, had a really, really good game. Um, you know, uh, Lewis Carter, going to be really good, man. You know, you got a guy like Danny Stutzman, you know, he's he's better on one and a half, three-fourths legs than almost every linebacker in the country. High praise. High praise. And worthy, too. All right, let's get our uh, final break of the 10 o'clock hour in. We're at Cavens on a Thursday. We'll hit the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line next right here on The Ref. Hour number two, it's presented by Allison Insurance. Check out Bob and Robert Allison and let them help you and your family out, you and your office out for insurance. Allison Insurance, they've been helping you guys out for over 60 years. That's allisoninsurance.com, 405-745-2968. Allison Insurance, they care a lot, Plank. Uh, to the text line we go, Knippemeyer Chevrolet text line, 405 651 39 tj sooner out of the 405 i must have missed it somehow but why is the big 12 trying to screw ou out of the conference championship i understand it will be hard enough but uh don't screw us all together i heard the committee trying to redefine the rules so ou can't get in the the big 12 offices redefining the rules is that what they're saying yeah no come on no that's not happening well, the timing of this and the this is how it's always been dummies approach will lend to that thinking, and I completely understand, TJ. Uh, but honestly, I think in this instance, when you're talking OU, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State, it kind of screws Kansas State a little bit more if all three of those teams went out. But basically, for those that didn't hear, they the tie-breaking procedure was believed to be one thing, and then Barry Trammell ratted us all out. I'm kidding. Then Barry Trammell actually went and read the tiebreaker, and it's like, this doesn't make any sense. 
And then the Big 12 said, oh. You know what? That, let's clarify that. You're yeah, right. We, uh, we didn't write that. We copied and pasted that. <laughs> Here's what it's supposed to be. I think the frustration in this is telling us that it's a clarification when it's a rewrite. Well, and here's the deal, though, because everybody, I guess, would have signed on for a certain agreement. They can't publicly say, I'd imagine, right, that they changed the rules. They can't do that. Even though you, I, and everybody else under the sun we knows see it. they changed the rules. You changed the rules. And, and, and I, again, I'm not even a, I am not a conspiracy guy. Right. I, I don't I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe in Bigfoot. Um, I just I love conspiracy theories, but I'm not somebody that's like, ooh, there's an alien out there. Uh, I just don't believe it. So I'm the least likely dude to ever buy. And I love him. I love talking about him. But I, in my back of my mind, I'm like, y'all are crazy if you really believe this. But I am a firm, firm believer that there is. No way could be coordinated enough to individually hose Oklahoma and Texas. I guess individually it wouldn't be two teams, but you get my point. The funny thing here is Kansas State's the team that gets hosed. Mm-hmm. And, right? and, and to some degree, it's right. You know, I mean, if you it beat, is, yeah. if you beat the other two teams, even though you know, even, even though, though Oklahoma State didn't, didn't have other, to play Texas, right? And they didn't have to play. Te- I mean, it's. See, the unbalanced schedules nature of it is, well, maybe it's not right, but if they beat both K-State and Oklahoma, okay, I, I do sort of understand it, yes. So it's – the timing of it is terrible. Here's a question that I, I was thinking of in driving in today. If Barry Trammell had reached out to the Big 12 and they looked at that tiebreaker and how it was worded, and Oklahoma owned the wins over OSU in Kansas State, or Texas owned the wins over Oklahoma State or Kansas State, would they would they then change the rules to make sure that it was head-to-head and it mattered? That's the part to me that's a mystery we'll never know. <laughs> well, no, it's not. Uh, they would not have changed the rules. <laughs> it's it's like, no, no, no. That's how it is. It's written. That's how it goes. And so, it, and so the creed shall be. Oh, I can't wait to talk to my guy pregame Saturday to have him tell me exactly how crazy this was when it went down. But I can't tell you guys about it. I, I know, but I can't tell you. All right, top five stories of the day coming up next.